Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. What a fun weekend to be here. So this is a special weekend because it is uh, not only our fall kickoff, but um, we officially launched our uh, third service this weekend, which is so cool. And so, uh, yes, this is the third service of the weekend. And um, one of the reasons why we had to do that was because uh, we have just seen so many people coming into our church community that um, two weeks ago we had zero seats left in the auditorium when we thought, that's a problem. We are going to need to make sure we have enough seats. And so uh, we, we had the privilege of being able to do that this weekend. And uh, it's been a, been a really fun experience so far. So uh, here's what I want to do. Start off with a question. And here's the question you can ask some people around you. Is uh, describe where you are at in life. Pretty open-ended question, but describe where you are at in life. All right, take 30 seconds. Tell somebody around you. Go. Anybody want to volunteer? Just like a quick answer where, where they're at in life. Retired. Retired. All right. All right. Retired. Okay. Yeah. What Midlife crisis. Okay. Fantastic. At least you know it. That's fantastic. Midlife crisis. All right. Uh, yeah. Building a family. Yes. Building a family. Yeah. 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 Anybody from over here? You guys sit over here because you don't want to be bothered. I get it. I understand. I understand the vibe of this side of the room. You don't want to talk about it. All right, fine. We'll come back later. Uh, here's what I've realized is as you get older, you start to describe the, the, the phase of life that you're in differently. So if you were to ask my kids, for example, um, that same question, what they would say is, well, I am four. That's, that's where I'm at in life. I'm four. Or, you know, I'm six or I'm seven or whatever. Or I am in kindergarten, or I'm in third or fourth grade. That's where I'm at. But as we get a little bit older, um, I think we start to, and you guys did it exactly right, is we start to describe our lives in seasons. And so we're in different seasons. So maybe you're in a season in which you're a student, you're a high school student, you're a college student, or maybe you're a young adult. You are exiting out of that phase and you're going into the workforce, or maybe you're a newlywed. Uh, that was the answer of some of our staff this last week. And, and they said, well, it's our one-year anniversary, and so I think we're in the newlywed phase. And that brought up a whole other set of questions. Well, when does the newlywed phase end? Like, we know when it begins, but when does it end? And so we started discussing it, and Doyle's answer was, when you can start going to the bathroom with the door open, then you're no longer a newlywed. <laughs> I thought that was inappropriate and very unprofessional of him. But some of us are, uh, we're, we're in the phase in which we're parents, parents of young kids or elementary school age or adolescents, or maybe we're empty nesters, we're retirees, but all of us are in different seasons. And this isn't just true of our lives, this is true of entire societies and cultures. I listened to a podcast this weekend, they were talking about what season is the United States in? Are we in a time of, uh, of decline? Are we going to see an upswing pretty soon? Have we plateaued? Is this, where exactly are we at? And then you can discuss morally and, and economically. And I think this is true of our church, is our church is in a new season. 
Uh, we were discussing kind of the season that we have been in and the season that I think we might be in. And as we have reflected back on the last couple of years, and this is probably true of your life as well, is it was a, a rough season. It felt a bit like a winter. It was a winter season for the last couple of years. And I think that season has officially ended, or at least I'm declaring it's over, all right? That season is done. And so we started to talk about, well, what is this new season that we're in? And the new season that we're in seems to be a season of momentum, excitement, that we have a lot. So uh, this morning, I spoke at Rooted, and some of you guys were in Rooted. We had hundreds of people in Rooted, and we have more people on Thursday. We have three services, like things that a year ago, we weren't sure if ever they're going to happen, we're seeing happen. And so we're definitely like in this new season where we feel like God is calling us into a new direction. Now, let me give you just a couple of stats that we came up with as a staff this week, just to kind of show you where we're at. Um, like I said, Rooted launched, that's the, the, this session is the most that we've ever had in Rooted before. We have more kids, we have more people, we have more people in 1.0 than we've ever had. Um, year over year, we've seen a 26% increase in our attendance, 57% increase in August alone this last year. Yeah. You guys aren't clapping as much as you should be. I don't know what's up with 1045. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. All right. There we go. Um, we've seen tons of new families. We, we have just so many new, new people attending the church and being a part of this community. We've had to open up the nursery and expand that. And, and here's something that's really cool, and you may not care about this, but it, we definitely do, is um, our people have remained faithful in their giving is we haven't seen a decrease in our giving at all. In fact, this is really cool. We gave away last year $300,000 to our ministry partners around the world. That's because of your guys' generosity. And so when we think about kind of where we were and now this new season um, that we're in, there is a temptation to just go, whew, I am glad that is over. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to go back to that. I just want to pretend like that never happened. Let's just forget the last couple of years and let's move forward. Especially when you see that things are starting to ramp up and you feel like there's this exciting new season ahead of us. And, and we do feel like that. And in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about what we feel like God is calling us to. And we have some pretty definitive things that we think God is, is setting up for us in the future as a church community. But before we get to all of that, there is something that we have to do first. Before we talk about what's next, we, just, we have to just stop and we got to celebrate for a while. That's like the biblical pattern, is when God shows up and he works, the response is that we praise and we celebrate. And so I think that's what we need to do as a church for just a few weeks at least, is just have fun and celebrate God's goodness and the fact that he has been faithful and that he keeps showing up. And so that's what we're going to do. In the, the new series is called After Party. After God works, it's time to party. It's a biblical pattern, it's, uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what came to my mind was, if you've ever been to a third world country, especially if you've ever been to a church in a third world country, like Africa, we have a, a church that we work with in Africa, and whenever I go there, I'm just amazed at how they celebrate like, their Sunday service is all day Sunday. It starts with a three-hour church service in which they are singing, they are dancing, they are shouting, they're giving testimonies. And then when you think it's all over, no, 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 it's just time to move to the eating portion of this where we're going to eat together now. It is just an all-day celebration. I thought, why is it that they can celebrate when they're in the middle of poverty and yet we have such a difficult time celebrating in the middle of air conditioning? Why? Why? Well, I think one of the things is 
when you are in the place that they are, you know, have no illusions about how dependent you are upon God and also how much he has provided for you and continues to do so. And I think we've been given an opportunity in this last season to, to be reminded of how much we are not in control because we were not in control of anything and how much we are dependent upon God and now how faithful he has been through this season. And so we're gonna celebrate in the coming weeks. We're gonna celebrate his faithfulness. But here's the problem. And maybe this is a, maybe this is a problem on a, a personal level for, for some of you. And this is counterintuitive, I think. It's, it's difficult to celebrate. Like it takes discipline and work to party. I know, it sounds weird. It sounds like something that should just happen. It's almost like a feeling that comes upon us. But um, Richard Foster points out that this is actually a discipline that we have to practice. In his book, Celebration of the Disciplines, he says, Celebration is central to all spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. When I think about spiritual disciplines, I think about things like prayer and reading the scripture and worshiping. It's never crossed my mind that I have to practice the discipline of celebration. It feels sort of like the way that, I, that our culture may think about love, in that I fall in and out of love. It's an emotion. It happens to me. And that's kind of how celebration and joy is. It's just a circumstance in which it hits me, and I celebrate, and I'm excited. It doesn't feel like it's something that I should have to consistently work at. Israel and the Old Testament uh, failed to celebrate uh, God showed up, and they didn't, in response, celebrate. So here's what God does. He commands them to celebrate. As the story goes, if you go back to the Old Testament and in the book of Exodus, this is like the central event of the Old Testament. And if you're not a church person, don't know much about the Bible, let me give you a quick sketch of what happened. Is if you, you go back to when um, the Israelites were in Egypt. So this is God's chosen people. They've lived there as immigrants for 400 years. They grow into this great number of people. And as they are growing into a nation inside of Egypt, Pharaoh starts to become a little bit threatened by them. There's a lot of them. They could rebel against us. What shall we do? And so what he decides to do is he starts to um, enslave them. And not only does he enslave them, he becomes so threatened that he begins to put their firstborn men to death. The little boys are killed. And so as he does this, there's one mother who says, absolutely not, I'm going to give my kid at least a fighting chance. And so she puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile River to float down. Hopefully God will provide some kind of rescue. And he does. Down the river is Pharaoh's daughter. She picks up this baby, raises this child who becomes Moses. Moses then becomes the man in which God calls to go and march up to Pharaoh and say, you need to let God's people go so that they may be free and they can worship. Pharaoh says, absolutely not. I'm not interested in this. I, this is free labor. You guys are staying here. So God sends a series of plagues, 10 in all. In each plague, Pharaoh becomes more hard-hearted and resistant to God until he gets to the 10th the and final one. And the night before they're supposed to flee out of Egypt, God says, here's what you need to do. You're going to take a, a lamb, a spotless lamb, and you're going to sacrifice it. And you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it around your door. And this 10th plague that's going to come through, the blood on the door is going to pass, oh, it's going to pass over you. And what happens that night is all the firstborn males in Egypt are put to death. God kind of turned the tables on Pharaoh. You want to put my people to death? Well, then I will put your people to death. 
and the people who were saved were passed over by the blood of the Lamb. Now, theologically, there's so much here. Maybe one day we'll talk about this and how that points to Jesus, but, but here's, here's kind of the, the end of the story. Is eventually Pharaoh says, I've had enough. His own child is killed. He says, go, get out of my, my kingdom. They begin to flee all the way till they hit the shores of the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind, says, no, you know what? I want them back. Sends his army after them. God splits the Red Sea. They walk through, and it comes crashing down on the Egyptian army. And so they find themselves in the desert, trying to find the promised land. And you know what they do once they get out there? They don't celebrate. They start to complain. I know, it's crazy, right? They start to complain, like, God, that was a cool trick. I mean, you divided the sea. That was great. We like being, you know, free, but we're hungry, and we're thirsty. And so God says, okay, well, let me provide for you. Manna from the sky, yours. Eh, you know what? That's great. Um, but it's, it's not a whole lot of variety. <laughs> you know, like, I like to mix it up a little bit. Uh, I'm kind of gluten-free right now. And so, like, I don't know if this manna thing is going to work. At least back in Egypt, we had a variety of foods that we could eat. And so God does a couple of things, one of which he, he disciplines them. Um, but the other is he commands them to begin to party to throw a celebration, because they have already forgotten what God has done. Now, you can't be too hard on them, because we do the exact same thing in our own lives. Uh, the other day, Amy and I were talking to uh, my sister and Matt about just being new parents, and somehow we got onto the topic of all the trips we've taken to the ER, because we've had a lot of stitches. We have two boys. They're a disaster, so we're just, it's an in and out kind of thing. And so, one of the discussions we had was about... Um, one of the pregnancies, out of the three kids, one of the pregnancies had a lot of complications. And as we were walking through that season, um, we were just praying that we would be able to see that baby to full term. And it was every week. We were in the doctor, they're doing scans, they're constantly doing checkups, and it's just, you know, it was all-consuming. It brought an incredible amount of fear and anxiety into my life and into Amy's, and, and we, we came down front for healing prayer one weekend, and and then after this prayer, we end up going to the doctor, and they're doing the scan, and they say, we don't know how this happened, but it's completely cleared up. Everything is, is going to be fine. It, it, the baby's going to be good. You're going to deliver full term. Everything is going to be great. It just like went from a moment where my whole life is full of fear to like it's just fixed like that. And you know what the sad part of it all is? I couldn't remember which kid it was. They were saying, oh, no, which kid was that? And I go... I don't know, because I've forgotten already. It's not like it's been 30, 40 years. It's been a few years, and I can't remember. God did something miraculous in my life, provides, and I go, oh, yeah. That thing that was, like, so consuming, I forgot about that, because that's what we do. God shows up. He does something significant, and we go, thanks, God, and then we move on to the next thing. God says, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. <laughs> we got to remember what, what happened here. And that's what he does with Israel. He says, okay, Israel, um, I've done some significant things. And he does a series of things. And so what he says is, if you go into the book of Levit Leviticus, which I know is like some of your favorite devotional reading, you probably wake up in the morning like, whoa, let's hear more about it. Um, no one got that joke because you don't know what that book is. Okay, all right, that's fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. I, got, I, got, I see where we're at. Okay, uh, goes through. And if you go to the book of Leviticus chapter 23, it's an entire chapter dedicated to how to party and the parties that Israel should have throughout the year. Seven in total. Because he says, I want you to remember my faithfulness. I want you to remember how good I have been to you. Because not only is it going to bring gratitude, but it's also going to give you strength for the future. 
I watched a, devo- uh, a documentary the other day, and it was um, about Hasidic Jews in New York. And they happened to be filming this at the time in which they were celebrating one of these festivals. And it was really interesting because the host was walking around and he's talking to uh, kind of his, his tour guide, if you will. And he starts looking around and all the apartments have huts on the balconies. And he goes, well, that's weird. And then he realizes, well, all the restaurants have huts outside. No one's eating inside. And even the synagogue, nobody's inside. Everybody's in a hut out front. So he says, well, what's the deal with this? Well, what we do is for nine days of the year, we live in these huts. And it's a reminder of when our people lived in the desert for 40 years and God continued to provide for them. And so for thousands of years, we've been practicing this as a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past and that he will continue to provide in the future. And I thought, you know, that, there's something attractive about that. There's something kind of cool about that, that they would just intentionally place these, these festivals in their life that would cause them to celebrate God's goodness. So Paul comes along in the New Testament, and he says, okay, those festivals, great, but we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to practice those things. But if you know anything about the law and then the New Testament, it's we're not going to practice those laws. We're under grace, but we're going to ratchet it up, and we're going to go to the next level. And so here's what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice See, Paul is commanding us to celebrate, but he doesn't just say celebrate when you feel like it or, or maybe when there's the, the activity to celebrate. No, no, no. It's much more than an activity. It's an attitude. I want you to live a lifestyle of praise and celebration. Problem is, as we get older, I think we get less and less celebratory. We don't party as much. Like if you look at little kids, it's a party all the time. All the time. So I've, like I've said, I have three kids. Um, the first two are getting to the age in which they're pretty self-sufficient. They can bathe themselves. They can make their own meals. They get themselves dressed for school. They do all that kind of stuff. The third one, however, uh, isn't quite there yet. And so we still have to give him bath time. And bath time is like his jam. He loves bath time. He loves the bubbles, the toys. He could stay in there all day if we would let him. And so uh, when I finally drag him out of bath time, I get a towel, and I've been doing this for years. I wrap him super, super tight, and I tuck it in there, and I call him a little baby burrito. And so I tell him, I say, ooh, this is a good-looking baby burrito, you know? And so I take him out of there, and I'll go, and I'll go to grab his jammies. But one of the things i got to be careful of is he gets to wiggle out. And if he gets free from that baby burrito, he's gone. He is going to be streaking throughout. That. We've had a couple where he got outside, and it was like, well, time out. Hey, no. Uh, and he is just dancing, and he's singing, and he is having the best time of his life. And you'll be like, dude, what's your deal? And he's just, you know, it's Tuesday, and I'm naked. <laughs> you know, like, that's a, that's a cause of celebration. Uh, kids just know how to celebrate. If you came to my house, I guarantee you that someone at the dinner table will stand up while they're eating and begin dancing. There's no music. There's no nothing. They just can't help it. It's like their little bodies are so full of joy, they just, they just got to celebrate. When was the last time you celebrated like that? I can't remember. And yet here they are. Is, is, I think that's kind of the, the attitude that we're supposed to have as believers. Is it's just being alive and knowing Jesus is a cause to celebrate. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In fact, we're supposed to be so full of joy that the people around us start to look at it and go, what's up with them? 
Like they just seem to be able to always celebrate. It doesn't matter what season that they're in. It doesn't matter what's happening. There's always cause for celebration in their life. And people start to take notice. This is, by the way, um, kind of Israel's job, is Israel would set themselves apart from the rest of the nations by, one, they would take a day off of the week. It's called Sabbath. And they would do nothing but relax and celebrate God's goodness. Or they would have these festivals throughout the year. They'd take weeks off. they go, we're just going to celebrate God's provision and we're just going to party together. And the other nations would be looking at them just like, who are these people? Who is this God that they worship? Because there's something different about us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he starts to give us some steps. How do we become those kinds of people? First thing you have to do is you got to surrender. It's really hard to celebrate when you are just weighted down by the worries of the world. When you just have all these fears and this anxiety and you just, it's really hard to celebrate. And so the first thing he says, well, guess what? Those worries and concerns probably aren't ever going to fully go away. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to surrender them to God and say, God, I'm not in control. I trust you. You've got this. And so I no longer have to bear that burden anymore. It's yours. He says, once we've done that, That's the weakest clap I've ever heard in my life. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The blessings are coming to the few that were there, that they were. <laughs> 1045, you guys are just trying to find your place in the world right now, aren't you? You're like, look, I used to come to 10. It's 1045. I don't really know where I'm at right now, okay? I used to be brunching. Now I'm lunching. I don't really know. I'm confused. You'll get there. All right, here we go. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So here's what he says. He says, okay, first, surrender. Second thing we do is you need to now fix your focus. You've been focused on the wrong things for a while now, and you need to start fixing your focus on the right things, on the noble, on the good, on the pure things. Here's the point he's making, because what you focus on will determine what your feelings are. I'll say it again. What you focus on will determine what your feelings are. You've probably not ever thought about this before, but you don't really get to dictate your feelings, at least not through willpower. Like Paul here says, do not be anxious. And so if we just read that and we say, and it said, do not be anxious, then, okay, let's just force ourselves real quick not to be anxious. Ready? He said, go. No, nope, I can't do it. Nothing changed. Uh, It's as if I have no power over my feelings. No, no, you do. Just not willpower over it. So let's do a couple quick experiments. We won't make it weird, but just to help you focus, just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine a couple scenarios. First scenario is this. I want you to imagine that in this coming year, your bank account is empty and you can't pay your bills. There's this potential conflict at work with maybe your boss or your employees, that you're going to face some sort of illness, that you're not going to pass the test, that the meeting is not going to go well and you're not going to get that job. Now open your eyes. Did your feelings change? Maybe a little bit. Especially if you believe those things were going to be true, you would start to feel anxious and start to feel fearful. 
Now, let's do that same experiment. Again, close your eyes, but let me walk you through a, a different image. Let's imagine God, the source of all love and goodness and beauty, peace and joy. And one day you will be wrapped in his arms. And in that moment, there is no longer anything to fear. There's nothing to be anxious about. That everything is in control. That he has your future, your past, your family, everything that you care about is no longer a concern because he has got it. And in that moment, all you feel is love and acceptance and security in his arms. Now open your eyes. You get a different set of emotions? Probably. Because you don't get to decide what your emotions are through your willpower, but you do get to decide what your feelings are through what you focus on. And so Paul is saying here is, if you want to change your feelings, if you will become a person of joy, then you have to change what you focus on. And this is going to take a lot of work. This is why celebrating takes a lot of work, is because you have to work really hard at what your mind is focused on. So um, for me, and you may find this surprising, my natural inclination is a little bit towards negativity and cynicism. I can be a little cynical sometimes. I know, shocker for some of you guys. And I live in a world that fuels that fire on a regular basis. Like if I were to turn on the news or look at social media or simply talk to most people, they will give me reasons to be negative and cynical. <laughs> and it's because bad news sells. Envy and jealousy sells. The reason why that people, uh, the, the way that they sell products is you need this, your life is incomplete without it. Your friends post on social media, your life is not as good as my life. The world is falling apart. Click here, right? And so we are constantly having this negative input that fuels the way that we feel about the world and about our own lives. And it's determining the attitude that we have. And so I think what we have to do is we have to focus in on the things um, that God celebrates. And we have to limit the negative input. And so we begin with who God is. We just talked about that. Just for that little brief moment, didn't you kind of just feel like a little bit, just a little bit more peace in life when you just started to think about who God is and about your future with him and what that can look like and what that can feel like? See, that's why God always brings our attention back to him in worship and in praise and in the scripture. That's not because he's an egomaniac. It's because he is the place in which we're going to find the most peace. And so he says, keep coming back to me. I am the source of joy in your life. And then, he, and then I think we also have to find ways to celebrate both the big and the small things. I try to, on a regular basis, celebrate what I consider the big things. Uh, Amy, oh, she's so much better than I deserve. I mean, I married so high. My kids, three beautiful kids. I mean, oh my, I get to get up in the morning and I get to drive to a job that I love and I find so much purpose and meaning in. And so I try to remember all those big things, but I also try to remember the small things, to celebrate the small things in life. Now, I don't know if you've ever like uh, had an injury, you've ever broken a bone or something like that, but I had a season of my life in which I was riding motocross a lot and every year I would break at least one bone. And so for two years in a row, I had a cast all the way up to my shoulder in my, uh, with my right arm, which is my, my arm that I use for, for writing. And so I couldn't, go, I couldn't do any tests at school. That was a bummer. Uh, I couldn't, 
but I, I couldn't do most of the things which you don't even think about. And when I finally got that cast off and I could use my thumb again, because my thumb was all messed up, I was just like, this is an amazing thing, you guys. Like, have you, monkeys are missing out. This is, uh, this is so helpful, you know? Like, having two hands, one with a thumb, amazing. And you just forget. You take it for granted. When was the last time you thought about the ability to use your thumb? Never, right? Never. It's just the little things. It's the small things. Did you come in here today celebrating the fact that there's air conditioning? Yeah, me too. It was good. <laughs> it was good, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Me too. Me too. Uh, but just think about how many things throughout your day that we take for granted that we could just stop and go, God, this is amazing. There are some people in this room who would spend their entire life savings to have one more meal with a loved one that's gone. A parent, a child, a friend, a brother, a sister. They would give anything just to have that one more, one more conversation. And yet, you know what we do? We have that every day with people that we love. And do we celebrate? Do we go, this is amazing. I would give anything for this moment right here. No, no, no. Half the time, we're not even paying attention. We're looking at our phones. We're trying to think about what the next thing is. And there's somebody who says, I would do anything to have what you have right now. And so I think those are moments to celebrate. Just the little things. Just the fact that I get to have a meal with people that I love and I just want to be present and with them. So a couple weeks ago, um, Amy and I went on our second family vacation. I don't like to call it vacation, though, with young kids. It's a family trip, okay? We traveled. <laughs> vacation has relaxation. That does not happen with children. And so we went on a, a family trip, and um, it, it started last year because all three of our kids are now out of diapers. They're able to, to travel fairly well. They can swim on their own. You know, it's a new world that we found ourselves in. And so we went on this uh, vacation. Yeah, that's to so say, you're like, you have kids in diapers? Way to go. Uh, that's, something that, that's just something to celebrate right there. But uh, here's the new season that we're in. So that's amazing. But now they begin to be able to verbally abuse one another. And sometimes physically as well. And so there's some, there's fighting that's going on. And then there's some complaining. And, then blah, 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 blah. and there's moments, I'm just going to be honest. There were moments during this trip in which I just went, ah, I should have got a babysitter. <laughs> you know, like should have left them at home. Should have figured out how to just make this a Amy and I thing. Because man, this is not working out right now. And even in the moments in which I was feeling that way, I was just trying to conscious, and this is not natural, I was just trying to intentionally go, okay, Cody, you know what? Somebody would give anything for this moment. Even the moments in which you're frustrated, somebody would give anything for this right now. And so God, thank you for allowing me to have these kids who, yeah, they want to go to the pool, and they're anxious, they want to, I have kids that can swim. I have kids that can go on vacation. I have kids that I can hang out with and I can have a conversation. Even in the moments when I'm frustrated, thank you, God, for these children in these moments. Last week, I ended the sermon um, with the point that it's, it's not about you and it's not about me. And uh, I think that's how we should end today is that it's not about you and it's not about me. Now, as you think about the, the, this idea of celebration and of joy, a lot of it is centered around us, around the joy that we get to experience and, and the goodness of God and the gifts that he has given us. And by the way, I just gotta give you a note. I'm not used to 1045 either because I looked at the clock and I thought, 
oh my gosh, what time is it right now? Either I've gone a really, really long time, or I need to wrap it up. So anyway, sorry. So, sorry, I was so distracted, I had to tell you. I was just so confused for a second there. I'm doing math in my head, which we know is not going to work out well. So, last week, Jason... uh, He did this thing in his video in which he talked about when he was driving to the church and and we were about to meet and he's going to tell me his story. He said on the way there, his phone went off with a reminder that five years ago today, I met God. And I thought, that is so cool, like that he puts those reminders in his phone of these significant moments in life so that he can stop and he can celebrate. Because if he didn't, he would go, oh yeah, yeah, five years ago and he would totally forget about it. But no, 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 five years ago today, what an amazing experience I had. And I think about, I think about trying to create a, a lifestyle in which, in which I, I can celebrate the big and the small. So if I were to think about the way that God looks at me, for many years the way that um, I believed God looked at me was, I understood he loved me, but he was mostly disappointed in me. You, you know, like he looks at me and he goes, I love you, but... God, I wish you would change X, Y, and Z. And so most of the time, God was frustrated, maybe even a little bit angry with me. But you know what happened? Is when I became a parent, things started to change. Is I started to look at not only my kids differently, but I started to look at the way that God looks at me differently. Because you know what I don't think about my kids? Even in the moments when I'm frustrated and they're disobeying, you know what I don't think? What a disappointment you are. I don't think that about my kids. My primary emotion towards them is incredible amount of joy and gratitude. And so when I think about the way that God looks at me, I think that's probably what he sees. And not only that, but it brings him an incredible amount of joy. So my wife sent me um, a video the other day. We have, um, and this has been a long process getting here, but we have these things called Disney passes. I've talked about them quite a few times before. God is redeeming our family. They have now run out, and we're not renewing. So uh, that's a cause of celebration right there. Thank you. That's a cause to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but she wanted to take them to like a last like hurrah. And so they'd never seen the show Phantasmic because it's always late, and it's kind of a little bit scary, but they're getting to the age, and they finally wanted to see it, and we may not be there for a long time. And so they, they stay around and they watch it. The two younger ones, not interested, but my daughter, who's about to turn 10. And she's at that age where um, she's, trying to, she's trying to become a, like a, a teenager, you know, where she's about 10. She reminds me all the time, Dad, I'm going to be a teenager in a few years. I'm like, no, we're not going to allow that in this house. And so it's not an option. But she's trying to figure it out. So, you know, she can't really like laugh and just be silly sometimes. She's just trying to figure things out. And Amy sends me a video. And it is a video of her watching the show. And she's watching, and I'm not a crier. I very rarely cry. Pretty close on this one, though. (laughs) Is the incredible amount of joy where she just couldn't, she couldn't contain herself. Like the lights would go off and she'd go, (gasps) and then a scene would pop up. She'd go, oh, oh, oh. You know, and then something would happen. She'd go, oh, my goodness. And I just watched that video over and over and over again. Because you know what? I felt more joy watching my child who is feeling joy than I have probably experienced in many years. And do you think that God might feel the same way about you? He looks at you and he goes, see, this is what it's about. 
I want you to celebrate. I want you to be filled with joy. I want you to enjoy me and our relationship and all the good gifts that I have given you. And even in the tough times when things don't make sense, when you trust in me, oh, it brings me so much joy. And so I begin to look at this discipline of celebration, not just as something that I need, but something that I can gift God with, is God, I want you to see how good you have been to me. And so maybe this week we find ways to celebrate. Maybe you put some things in your phone like Jason did where you said, you know, I met God. I had a breakthrough on this day. You know, I just really feel like he spoke to me. This is the day when I committed my life. This is when my family started to turn around. Or maybe it's just in the little simple things that you're reminded, oh yeah, God has been so good to me. Maybe it's when you're getting ready and you're driving to work and you go, I have a job. Maybe it's when you're pulling up at the end of the day and you go, I have a family waiting for me inside. Yesterday, right before I was about to speak, I don't know what my kids were doing downstairs. I was getting ready and, and all I hear is them giggling so hard, like so hard. All three of them getting along, giggling. I thought for sure they're breaking something. There's going to be a mess down there, but I don't even care because there was just such joy that I felt. And I, I thought, God, thank you. <laughs> what an a gift to hear just my kids laugh. There are so many moments like that throughout the day. We were so focused on all the other things that are wrong with the world, and God's going, but look at the good gifts I've given you. Don't you want to celebrate those? And so that's my challenge this week, is that we would learn to celebrate both the big and the small, because as a church, we are going to enter into a time of celebration. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. As a church, you have been so, so good to us, Lord God. There are, there are days in which I never thought we would see See moments like this where your people got to gather together and that we would see you continue to work and continue to bless and continue to provide. And Lord, it just, uh, it just reminds us of how faithful you have been to us as a church. And Lord, I also thank you for how good you have been to, to me and to my family in the big and in the small. And so Lord, I just want to enter into this next season before we head into what all the things you're calling us to do might be and all the exciting things that we believe you're setting us up for, we just want to stop and we want to celebrate how good you have been. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Hey, uh, part of celebration is eating good food. So of course, we got some great food out there, tri-tip. I think we might even have some ice cream, stuff like that. So hang out for a while, uh, get to know some folks, and we'll see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.